Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. So like I said, we're, we're in the middle of a stewardship uh, series, and uh, just as uh, we'll do this week, next week we're going to be talking a little bit about how we steward our time well. Uh, we'll be next week, and the following weekend will be State of the Church. And so State of the Church, if you're trying to figure out like, hey, what did we accomplish in the last year, and where are we going for the following year, that'll be the 26th as well, so you really won't want to miss that. Um, but, but as far as stewardship goes, uh, there's a lot of people that oftentimes use stewardship and giving as synonyms. We feel like those two words can kind of be interchanged, especially in church culture for some reason. It's one of those words that the church has kind of hijacked. And we're like, you know, oh, stewardship, that means money. Oh, we're doing stewardship series. That means Pastor Peter's going to tell us that we have to give a whole lot more money and all of that stuff. Stewardship and giving are definitely not the same thing. But while we are talking about money today and how that reflects our relationship with God, stewardship is about managing our blessings well. That's largely what we talked about last week. Last week, we really talked about the idea that God is the owner of everything, everything. Psalm 24 tells us that, and we're going to get back to Psalm 24 in a little bit here. But Psalm 24 says everything is God's. And so our responsibility as Christians, as followers of God, is to manage God's stuff well. And God's stuff happens to be the blessings that we're responsible for. So that's the stewardship idea that we're talking about. And our working definition, just to remind you, it's not on the screen this week, it was last week. Um, it is managing everything God brings into the believer's life in a manner that honors God and impacts eternity. And so I think a lot of times we get stuck on that, that first part of, hey, this is, we are managing things that are God's, but we forget about that we're managing in such a way that it should impact eternity. It should deepen and widen the kingdom of God in some way. And so as we're talking about one, I, I just, I want you to know that I'm not standing up here saying, look, all of you are doing it wrong. Okay, money is a difficult thing for a lot of us in the room. It's been a difficult thing for me. I actually didn't learn about how to manage my money until well into mine and my wife's marriage. Uh, my parents, not that they were bad at money, my parents were actually phenomenal with money. And because my parents were so good with money, they never felt the need to talk to me or my brother about it. It was just second nature to them. I mean, my dad was a loan officer. My mom was a CPA for a long time. And so it was one of those things that they were like, oh, money, duh. And some of you are sitting in here right now going like, yeah, money, duh. I don't even need this, right? Dave Ramsey, who? Um, and so, and, and that's totally okay for some of you. But for my parents, like they never explained it to me. They never talked to me about it. And so because of that, I never got the opportunity really to learn how it is that I should steward my money in such a way that was going to honor God and allow for security for my family later on in life. Like I never learned those things. For some of you in here, uh, your parents, they were terrible with money. And so because your parents were so bad with money, you never had a good, a good shot at managing your money well in the first place anyway. So you're like, my parents are bad with money. I'm obviously going to be bad with money. It's in the genetic code. It's just how it works. Right? And so for some of you in here, you're like, man, yeah, money's tough because my parents are bad at it and I never learned it. And there's still others of us in here who simply just, ha just struggle with it. And that's okay. Like, it is okay. Actually, there's quite a few statistics talking about that you are definitely not alone if money is an issue in your life, if the stress of money is an issue in your life. Because if I had to guess, the vast majority of you would probably be stressed about money. I mean, that's what the stats tell us. I pulled, I pulled some statistics off of, uh, off of Dave Ramsey's website. If you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, he's like, 
little g God of money, right? In the Christian, Christian circles. Um, but these are some things that he said. Uh, um, it says uh, more than one point, or Americans as a whole owe more than $1.2 trillion in education debt. Trillion with a T. Uh, with the average student loan hovering just under $29,000. Meanwhile, the average car loan has hit an all-time high at more than $30,000 for a car loan. Um, and because of that, because of those different things, it's no wonder then people rely on credit cards, which by the way, credit cards in the US have an average balance of $15,000 in America. And there are more than 1.4 billion open credit cards in America alone. 1.4 billion open credit cards in the US. 50% of Americans have less than one month of their income saved for a rainy day say for emergencies, let's say, you know, you got laid off of work or whatever, and all of a sudden, hey, we don't have enough money to be able to cover uh, just the basics, groceries, gas, rent for that month. Research also shows that uh, only 58% of Americans are actively saving for retirement. When you're 58, you're like, oh, that's not bad. But that also means that 42% of people in the U.S. aren't. And even among those people who 58% who are, only one in 10 save 15% of their income, which is mo what most financial experts say you need to be able to save in order to have a comfortable living come retirement. That's a lot of numbers. The interesting thing though, is that people, like what we need to know with that is, is people aren't saving enough money today to live a comfortable life tomorrow. That's really what it boils down to. And the last stat, nearly half of Americans, 46% of Americans say their debt level creates stress and makes them anxious, which is probably true. And I, if I had to guess, I would say actually that statistic is probably a lot higher, but we're Americans and we're prideful and we're like, no, nah, I'm not stressed about anything. I can handle it, right? They probably asked men and they were like, no, nah, I, I don't care. I don't get stressed about anything. But these stats, they can be scary and, and kind of overwhelming. And we're gonna talk about how, how coming to terms with the fact that you aren't alone and that you can kind of, uh, you aren't alone in your struggle with money and how using the tools that are out there can actually help us move past fear and move into action in that sense. Because as followers of Christ, we need to view our money through the same lens that we view everything else in our life. And that's through a biblical perspective. We also need to come to the realization that your relationship with money impacts your relationship with God. Your relationship with money impacts your relationship with God. I mean, let's just be frank here for a second. Okay, if you are stressed about money, the stats actually say that you're less likely to come to church. You know that? Until you have no other options and then, <laughs> then it increases. I'm sure there's an inverse bell curve for that. But if you're stressed about money, you're less likely to come to church. And on top of that, if you're stressed about money, let's talk about your familial relationships. Number one cause of divorce in America is due to money issues. And so this is something that we as a church, not just FBH, but the, but the Western church overall really doesn't talk enough about in a healthy, with a healthy perspective. I'm talking about, about the stress and fear of money. We as Americans oftentimes do have the sense that we can't talk about it. And if we talk about it in the sense that, that we're struggling, then people are gonna see that we are less than. It's the whole keeping up with the Joneses mentality, right? Well, they bought a boat and we're over here just trying to scrape by. Yeah, the Joneses bought a boat on a credit card. 
in the same spot that you are. And so if we can't have a, a healthy conversation about money, then we are gonna be in dire straits. And men, to pick on you again, we're great at this. You, like I'm exempt. Men, we are great at this. We're phenomenal. We sometimes even kind of shut our spouses out because for some reason we've gotten in our heads that money is a man's domain and my wife shouldn't have to worry about those type of things. And so because my wife shouldn't have to worry about those type of things, I'm going to put all that stress on my shoulders. And regardless of how I feel at the end of the month, my wife should be able to do whatever it is she wants to do. And, and, and regardless of the fact that my relationship is in trouble, regardless of the fact that, that me and my kids don't get along anymore because I am so stressed and so anxious about money, I'm not gonna let anybody else in because I can figure it out. That's a foolish way to look at things. It's an incredibly foolish way to look at things. But when all we do is think about money, whether we're thinking about money out of stress or thinking about money out of greed or whatever it may be, it begins to control our lives. And our money ultimately becomes our master at some point. And the Bible is very clear about having two masters. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, no one can serve two. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's very clear. You can't do it. And yeah, the Bible, pastors talk about this a lot. The Bible talks in great detail about money and possessions. Over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. And nearly half of the parables actually that Jesus talks about deal directly or indirectly with the topic of money in some way. So if Jesus and the entirety of God's word spend that much time addressing money and possession, then we should probably pay, pay close attention, right? And that's often the springboard that pastors will use to talk about money in some way. Well, the Bible talks about it a lot. There's 2,000 verses about it. Jesus talks about it a lot. We need to talk about it. But the interesting thing is, is when you actually read those verses and actually read the parables and see what Jesus was talking about here, Jesus isn't talking about money. Like the, the root cause of everything that Jesus is talking about is never about money. Jesus didn't spend the majority of his time talking about giving. Jesus didn't talk all that much about, about wisely managing your money or living a frugal lifestyle. Jesus didn't talk about the benefits of staying out of debt or saving for later years. Jesus never once mentioned the need to develop a $0 budget. Jesus didn't talk about anything, any of these things. These are, these are all very important things and they lead to, to a financially healthy lifestyle, but these were not the things that Jesus focused on. If you look for a common theme in almost every discussion that Jesus had about money, he was addressing the impact that a person's relationship to money had on their relationship to God. He wasn't saying, hey, save more money saying, hey, you love money too much and it's getting in the way. Or you're too stressed about money, it's getting in the way. In short, Jesus was teaching us that money is more about relationships than it is about finances. Examples of this are everywhere in scripture. You know, we can talk about both the positive and the negative, but they're everywhere in scripture. You know, we see healthy relationships to money drawing people closer to God and destructive relationships to money doing the opposite. A great one is in Luke 18. We're not gonna put it up on the screen, but, but Luke 18 talks about the rich young ruler. And if you've been around church for a while, you know the story of the rich young ruler. It's this really rich dude who comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus tells him, hey, sell all your stuff. He's like, he walks away sad because he can't, he knew he couldn't do it. Now that's not prescriptive. That's not saying, hey, look, because Jesus said that this one rich dude came to him and asked how to inherit eternal life, that he said you should give all your stuff away. That, okay, it says that, so then obviously for me to inherit eternal life, I need to do those things. No, Jesus is talking about this one guy, this one rich ruler who recognized that money and possessions, the things that he cared most about were getting in his way with the relationship with God. And so because of that, Jesus is like, hey, you have an unhealthy relationship with money. And so in order for you to inherit eternal life, in order for you to really achieve communion with me, in order for you to serve one master, give your stuff away. That's what he tells them. So it's not about the money. It's about the relationship that he's supposed to have with God and money is the issue. Money is the barrier. And because that barrier is in place, he can't get to a space of communion with God. He can't get to a space of recognizing that God is his master, his one and only master. We've got to get back to that idea of Psalm 24, like I talked about earlier. It's a Psalm of David, a Psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, Jesus doesn't focus on budget. God doesn't focus on giving. He focuses on the owner of everything, reminding us that everything is God's in the first place. Everything. Not 10%, not once a week. Everything is God's in the first place. How then does this affect the way that we manage God's money? Because going back to last week, we are simply managers, right? God is the owner of everything, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it we simply get to take care of his stuff for him for a time being. We talked about the idea of being a bellhop, right? An owner comes in with their bags, bellhop takes the bags, their rooms, we're bellhops, okay? With God's stuff. So we should, do, we should do a few things. The first thing is we should ask God for help, okay? We should ask God for help when it comes to money. Now, a lot of you are thinking to yourself, duh, we're in church, the pastor is supposed to say we should ask God for help when it comes to money because that's what good pastors do. And you'll probably throw it away as trite and that's okay, but. Just think to yourself, how is it that we increase our faith in things? Are we putting our faith in the idea of paychecks? Are we putting our faith in the idea of our job? Are we putting our faith in the idea of, you know, just being able to continue month to month, bill to bill, hey, everything was there this month, so everything is gonna be there next month, no issues are gonna pop up, nothing's gonna break around my home, nothing's gonna break on my car, nothing like that is gonna happen. How do we increase our faith. Philippians 4 actually tells us, verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, and I'm pretty sure everything under that umbrella of everything, money is in there. Pretty sure that's what that word means. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It says nothing about money there, nothing. It's talking about the state of your heart. It's talking about the state of your heart. Don't be anxious about it. Bring it to God, rely on God, exercise the things he's told you to do as you live obedient to him and you'll be fine. That's what it's talking about because life isn't about money. 
Life's not about acquiring stuff. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our next car. It's not about our next boat. It's not about our biggest house. It's not about our massive bank accounts. That's not what life is about. Luke 12, 15 says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. If you're working your tail off in here to throw as much money in your bank account as you possibly can, and because of that, you're neglecting your kids, because of that, you're neglecting your spouse, that's what this verse is saying. Life doesn't happen among all of your incredible possessions. You know where life happens? In and among your oikos is what we call it. Your family, your friends, the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. That's where life happens. Not in accumulation, not in more stuff. It's what it specifically says here. And the next thing we need to do as managers of God's money is to be as generous as you can be. Be as generous as you can be. Man, give it away. Be as generous. Growing up in church, I'm sure you've heard of the tithing principle. For those of you who grew up in church, what a lot of people don't know is, is tithe actually means tenth. Tithe means tenth. And it's a biblical mandate. Some of you are like, oh, well, it's more of a suggestion. 10% is a, a good idea. It's not a suggestion. It actually comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What does tithe mean again? Tenth, good, good answer. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. It says we should give 10% of what we make directly to the church. The storehouse in this text is the tabernacle. This is Old Testament text, the storehouse is the tabernacle. You know what a modern day tabernacle is? A church, your local church. And so if this is a place that you call home, the biblical mandate for us, the obedient way to live according to scripture is to give a 10th of your income where? To the storehouse. What is a storehouse? Church. And I know that freaks a lot of people out. You're like 10%, man, I can, like 20 bucks is what I can do today. Like that's, that's it. I, could, I mean, you haven't seen the state of my bank account. You don't know how many bills I have. You don't know my medical history. You don't know how many cars have broken down over the course of the last two years. You don't know the repairs that I have to do on my house. You don't know how much money I make. You don't know how expensive it is to feed as many kids as I have. And that one I do know. <laughs> you don't know those things. So how do you expect me to give 10% to the church? Here's the cool thing about Malachi 3.10. You wanna know the one place in all of scripture that God says to test him? Right here. Test me in this. Give a tithe to the storehouse and test me in it. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me. Give 10%. Give, my, give your tithe and test me and see if I, don't, if I don't increase your blessing. Now, a lot of prosperity preachers, prosperity gospel preachers go into this and say, hey, look, you give 10%, man, God is going to give, he's gonna make you a millionaire. All you have to do is write a check for $1,000 to First Baptist Hanford, and then man, miracle upon miracle is gonna be given upon you. That's not what I'm saying. 
All I'm saying is that God tells us to test him in this principle. Say, hey, give away 10%. And more often than not, it's, you don't even miss it. You just recognize, hey, this is what I have to live on. And Sarah and I didn't start tithing until we were in our late 20s. And it was finally that I realized, hey, like, hey oh, I, I gave away money? It's weird. I didn't, I didn't miss the money. Like, how did, we, how did we run out of all of that money ahead of time? So strange. And, and, and I know some of you are thinking, like I said before, 10%, there's no way. Great. Don't jump into 10%. That's okay. Start at 1%. Go with 1%. Say, you know what? I'm going to start at 1% and I'm going to faithfully give 1% and test God in it. And, I'm going to, and then when you test God in it and he answers that blessing, give 2%. And I'm going to test God in it and work your way up. I'm not, look, I'm not saying go, go from zero to, to a million in the course of one message. If you want to, great. Make your checks payable at First Baptist Stanford. But what I am saying is to just simply test God in it. Just start with obedience. Start with a, a small obedience and test God in it and see how he continues to bless you through this. The other thing that we need to recognize about Malachi 3.10 is that idea of the storehouse into the tabernacle, the church. Okay? There is an understanding probably among people more my age than an older generation is that, oh, a tithe is really just a tithe to the world that I should just kind of be generous to, to non-profits. I have a friend serving in Cambodia or you know, wherever you want to give to, and I'm going to give to that. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're supposed to give 10% to the tabernacle, 10% to the church. And so that really is a baseline for giving. So for some of you in here who are like, you know what, I give my 10%, that's all I'm going to give. That's your baseline. Like that's what scripture said. That is where you start with generosity. For others of you in here, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what? I don't, I don't give to one church. I just kind of am generous with everybody. According to the Bible, that's outside of what God has called us to do. That's outside of God's obedience. We're supposed to give 10% directly to the storehouse. And then on top of that, however else you want to be generous. It's supposed to be a baseline. And really we think 10%, hey, 10%. Man, okay, good, I gave my 10% and that's it. Well, just remember that the 10%, that's not just, 10% is God, yes, but the other 90% is his as well. And so when you're thinking through this idea of generosity, don't say, hey, I hit 10%, I did it. You know, there's a lot of you in here who have been faithful givers of 10% for a really, really long time. Love it, incredible. But that's your baseline. And that's passing. That's a C. It's probably more than a C and I'm really thankful for you guys. <laughs> But that's Z, that's like, okay, I did it. I passed the class, I can move on. Like that's your baseline. And so yeah, that's what God said, but he also talks about living a life of generosity. And so yeah, you're 10%, great. But if you can afford to do more, man, do more, give more. And I'm not even saying to us, like do more over the 10%, give it away, bless people. Because our goal should always be manage 100% for him, whether you're saving it, whether you're spending it or whether you're giving it. So like I said, if 10% scares you, don't, don't sit on the 10%, start with one. Start with half. Whatever it is that you need to do, start with that obedience. The next thing we need to do when it comes to managing God's, God's money well is live within your means. Live within your means. And this is where we, we as Americans get into trouble. Because we assume that buying something now is fine as long as I can pay for it in a reasonable amount of time. That's kind of our mindset. Well, I can afford it now. Well, can you? Can we actually afford it now, it's a dangerous game to play. 
It really is. And we need to sit down and look at our budget and see what our plan is before we actually go through with the purchases that we're going through. Man, shopper's remorse is a real thing. Buyer's remorse is a real thing. You get out the door and you're like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have purchased that. But it's shiny and it's new and it's pretty. So I'm happy for a time. And we pay for it over and over and over again. But we need to sit down and count the cost. Luke 14, verse 28 tells us that. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Why? Because he didn't count the cost ahead of time. We need to have a plan when it comes to managing our money. We need to recognize that I have a set amount of money every single month that comes in. And I have a set amount of bills for the most part, and then an emergency shows up and we all freak out about, but I have a set amount of bills that I have every month. And if I don't have enough money that comes in to pay for the bills that I have, then I am living upside down. And that's not a healthy thing. Really simple way to do this. If you have like no clue about money or anything like that is the 10, 10, 80 principle. You probably heard of it, right? You give 10, you save 10, you live on 80. 10 to, that's, that's a start. That's a basic start. Maybe for some of you are like, man, that's groundbreaking. I'm gonna do that. Great, do it. Do it. But we need to sit down and we, not to, we, need, to, we need to count the cost. But we also need to recognize that as we accumulate more and more and as we decide to spend more and more, we think, oh no, I can afford that, I can afford that. And we push those payments further and further and further back. We need to recognize that that money then is becoming our master and we are becoming a slave to it because debt is a form of slavery. Bible tells us that, Proverbs 22, seven, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. What we need to become comfortable with is that when all is said and done, and when we die, and when we are forgotten, everything goes back to this temporal world that we are a part of. We said, hey, we got a lot of cool stuff. We got a nice shiny car, we got a bigger house, we have whatever it is that we have. When all is sudden done, it's done. You can't take it with you. So what do we need to do to manage our things well? The last thing that I wanna talk about is that it simply all goes back in the box. Let me tell you what that means. I heard a great story uh, about a grandma and her grandson who played Monopoly, okay? My grandma was a lot like this lady. Um, pretended to be really, really kind when it came to games, made sure you understood how to play and all that stuff, and then was just cutthroat, right? Like, nope, you're not gonna beat me. And so this grandma and her grandson would, would play Monopoly every time he came over, and uh, you know, their relationship stood the test of time somehow. Um, because Monopoly always ends with the board game flipped over on the, on the floor and pieces all over the place and mom getting upset. Um, but they came and played and played and, and man, the grandma would just destroy this kid every single time. Until, and, and the grandma would tell him, hey, one day you'll learn how to play the game. One day you'll learn how to play the game. One day you'll learn how to play. And so finally, this kid was like, you know what? I'm, I, I have figured out how to play the game. I watched grandma. I studied her moves. I know how I'm going to do this. The name of the game is accumulation. If I can go around and just buy and buy and buy and buy, and then there's no possible way she is going to be able to beat me. And so he does it. He goes through and he finally beats her and you know he's doing like the grandson dance like in your face grandma like doing a little tushy shake you know whatever grandkids do grandsons do and she said oh man this is my favorite part of the game because he won but as he won she was taking the game folding it in half putting the pieces away and putting it back in the box 
And she said, you know what? At the end of every game, we put it back in the box. That's the lesson that he had to learn is that, hey, that victory was short-lived. That game, if it was a short game, was only two hours long. <laughs> but in reality, at the end of every single one of the Monopoly games, at the end of accumulation, at the end of, of making our empires bigger and destroying everybody else, what happens? The game gets put away, it gets put back in the box and put on the shelf for the next person to play. That's what happens in our lives. That's what happens in our financial lives. Is the opportunity to say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best with what God has given me today. I'm gonna steward my money in such a way that it's gonna honor God, but I'm also gonna recognize that at the end of the day, I can't take it with me. Everything goes back in the box. And we want you to steward, I'm not saying at the end of your life, you should have zero dollars. Man, set up your, your kids and your grandkids, change your family tree as Dave Ramsey puts it. Like, like give as much money away as you possibly can, even after you die. But we have to recognize that it all goes back in the box. We don't get to take it with you. Your comforts, your cars, your homes, your bank accounts, you don't get to take them with you. When the game is over, it goes back in the box. So instead, we should use our money as a tool to increase the kingdom of God and provide security for our family, not the other way around. That's really where we get into trouble is we think to ourselves, okay, this is a tool for security. It's a tool for my family. My family needs these things. And it's not an inherently bad thing. But when we start with family and follow with God, what happens is, is that we end up upside down. And at the end of the month, we never have enough time for God or enough money for God. There's never enough to give back. There's never enough to be generous with. But when you start with God, he tells us in Malachi 3, hey, test me. See if there's enough money left. Try it. And there is if we're faithfully stewarding those things. And don't get me wrong, God never says don't work your tail off to make a ton of money. Work, make as much money as you possibly can make. As long as you're stewarding your time and your money well, do it. What God is telling us is that he wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. So make all the money you can possibly make, but don't ever let it be your master. And don't ever let money become like your, your love, your obsession. Be content with, the Lord, with what the Lord has blessed you with. Give away a chunk of it and let him sort out the details. Hebrews 13 says, make sure that your character is free from what? The love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? What will man do to me? That's a really good question to ask, especially if you're living with angst, you're living with fear because of the state of your finances. To get to a point where Hebrews said, hey, don't love money. And if you don't love money and you set your sights on God, you're obedient to God, man, you have nothing to fear. You have no reason to fear man. You have no reason for that. So as you go to lunch today, as you're processing this later on, remember that God doesn't hate money. And I hope, I hope you hear that. God doesn't hate money. God just has a healthy understanding of what money should be used for and viewed as. He wants the same for us. So think about how generous you're being. You know, think about how much you're contributing to the church, 
Think about how you're blessing other people. Think about how much you're saving. Think about the condition of your heart when it comes to gain. And maybe this is a lot for you this morning because, man, your budget is so messed up. Like all of this is extra. I can't even see through the red numbers on my Excel spreadsheet. Maybe some of you are like, I don't even know what an Excel spreadsheet is. That's okay. That is 100% okay. And you're not alone. Hear that. You are not alone in that. Maybe you're like me and money and numbers is just a foreign language to you. And we offer an incredible class about once a year. It's called Financial Peace University. Ellen Weaver, she's the head of our stewardship committee. Hint, hint. Head of our stewardship committee runs this class. If you are interested in taking that class, we're starting one up in February. Man, sign up for it. Take it. You know, the average 90-day turnaround for people who take Financial Peace University is an $8,000 turnaround in 90 days. 90 days. That's average. And I know a lot of you, your parents told you that you're above average. And so because of that, maybe it's like 10, 12, 50. I don't know. I don't know where it stops. But that's an average 90-day turnaround just for just simply applying the principles that this class teaches you about. So we'll have opportunities for you to sign up for that this week online as well as next week. Call the church office if you want. Chase down Ellen. I don't know, whatever it is that you want to do. But we'll have opportunities for you to sign up. And, and honestly, Sarah and I didn't understand money and stewardship principles until we walked through that class. And that's okay. Like, I'm okay saying that. Like, hey, guys, I'm terrible at money. Okay? If I could stand up here and say that in front of all of you, you can sign up for a class and be able to figure out what the state of your finances actually should be rather than what they are. But money really is about the state of your heart. And then after you recognize money is about a state, the state of your heart, it's just a math problem after that. It's about the state of your heart and then it's a math problem to figure out where you can spend where. where, you can spend where. I mean, what would it look like, church, if we got serious as a church about people to pay off debt. We got serious about living a generous lifestyle. We got serious about putting forth an entire tithe rather than, rather than the pocket change that we may have. What would that look like? We, we would be able to go further faster with the gospel of Christ, that's for sure. Using money as a tool to get us there. You know, some of you know this, and this is like maybe the elephant in the room, but our church is beautiful church building and our property that we have and all that stuff. We owe $3.1 million worth of debt on this property still. I know it stinks every time to say it, it gets real awkward and quiet in the room. $3.1 million worth of debt on this building. It's a beautiful facility and we're using it and we're paying it. We've never been late on a payment or anything like that. But as you know, $250,000 a year goes straight to our building. $250,000 a year. That's just our mortgage. Like that's not even like air conditioning and heat that works sometimes. <laughs> that's like just our mortgage payment. That's like just to stay in the building. That's not even to be comfortable and keep lights on. $250,000 a year. You think about $250,000 a year and what we could do as a church if we were to get out from underneath that. And you think about, I mean, we're talking about hiring staff. We're talking about, I mean, we could do an entire renovation of this building with $250,000 and not even increase the budget. We could probably shrink it and you guys would be happy and we'd get a new facility if simply we weren't, uh, if we weren't underneath this debt. 
I'm not saying we're launching a campaign. I'm not saying we're doing anything like that. There will be a time at some point where we're gonna do our best to sprint towards getting out from underneath this debt, but it's just a microcosm of the reality that we all sit in, is that when you're sitting under debt, it hinders you from being able to impact the kingdom of God for eternity. We would be able to do so much more as individuals and as a church if it wasn't simply hanging over our heads. God tells us, man, I don't hate money. Use it as a tool, but don't love it and don't allow it to be your master. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you. uh, Man, thank you for talking about money. And it's a difficult topic. It's a hard topic. It's a topic that we don't like to discuss oftentimes, but it is one that is so prevalent and it's a, a massive need in our culture to talk about healthy, healthy ways to be able to steward our money. And so God, I just pray that this would be the beginning of a conversation. I know it just kind of probably felt like a drinking from a fire hose this morning. But God, I pray this would be the beginning of a conversation regarding money. Beginning of the conversation about how we are obedient to what you have given us how we steward those things well, that how we manage your stuff well for the short time that we're here before everything goes back in the box. So God, I pray that as a church, you would give us a a generous mentality, that you would give us hearts that allow us to, to love you well and love people well by being generous with our blessings being generous with the things that you gave us in the first place, that we would hold those things with an open hand, that we would recognize that it's not ours to start with, it's yours. And so because it's yours, God, show me what it is that I'm supposed to do, whether it's through your scripture, whether it's through other believers, through prayer, whatever, through your Holy Spirit. God, just show me what it is that I'm supposed to do with the blessings that you've given me and work through that, God. If you're new here and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and this whole money thing is kind of crazy, but it makes sense. And you're saying, you know what? In order for me to get my life in order and my finances in order, I need to just start with saying yes to God. And so if that's you, if you're just like, you know what? I need to say yes to Jesus first. Just pray along with me. You see the ABCs at the end of every service. So with head still bowed and eyes still closed, just pray along with me. Say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I messed up. We're all messed up. Bible tells us that, but I'm broken in that sin. God, help me. Help me with that. And I know that you did because I be, I believe that you sent your son on the cross to die on my behalf, to die for my sins so I could be reconciled to you forever in eternity. And see that I would choose to follow you every single day. I would choose to follow you with my money. I would choose to follow you with my time. I would choose to follow you with my blessings. I would choose to follow you and your word every single day of my life. Father, we love you so much. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.